Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning Life Changes Church. This morning we're going to be looking at a, a wonderful portion of scripture found in the book of Philippians chapter 1 from verse 12 to 30. And this morning's sermon title is The Advancing Gospel No Matter What. Now, as I read through this particular portion of Scripture, I do believe the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And the way you know that He is speaking is all of a sudden something leaps from the pages of the Bible into your heart and your heart begins to burn. And you begin to realize, wow, This is an amazing truth. And then start dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, asking Him, seeking questions. Because the Bible is a a massive treasure hunt and the Holy Spirit wants to help you explore who God is. And it's that personal knowledge of Him that will accelerate your journey and walk with Him. I like what Job says in Job 22.25 where it says, The Almighty will be your gold. So as we read through this portion of scripture, look for those gold nuggets. I'm going to be reading from verse 12 onwards. The Apostle Paul, as he writes, it's not just to the church in Philippi, but it's to each and every one of us who believe in him. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, verse 19. And I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Verse 27, whatever matters, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I believe the Apostle Paul is wanting us, firstly, to see and to know the high priority of the gospel in his life and Christ Jesus. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul didn't focus on all of his woes. All he mentioned is he just wanted people to know what had happened to him. And as I said earlier on, when I bump into a verse like that, I just like to dig a bit deeper and just look into it. And you could cross-reference 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 22 to 33. And as you look at that, you can see some of the physical challenges Paul had, the emotional, the relational, and the spiritual challenges that he had from being beaten five times with 39 lashes. That's 195 lashes. In verse 26, he speaks of eight times he was in danger of rivers, bandits, his own countrymen, the Gentiles. He was in danger in the city and the country at the sea and with false brethren. They might say, well, why is it important to know some of the challenges that Paul had? Because the next time you start feeling sorry for yourself or you're having a glum day, you can think it is nowhere close to what the Apostle Paul had. And it's important for you to realize, too, Paul never had a pity party. He could have had one, because he was almost like a fugitive on the run. He was wanted more dead than alive. And all the things he went through, not once did he go, oh, shame, look at me, look at my woes. The reason being, Paul knew that what he believed shaped him to become more like Jesus. It's not what you feel that shapes you. It's what you believe. There's nothing wrong with expressing a feeling, but trump that feeling with the truth. I just love in verse 12, the latter portion of that verse, where Paul said, well, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, Paul's heart was to see the gospel advance. And that's a a military word. It's to, to move forward, to take ground, to accelerate. The gospel is sometimes like a tsunami or like a lava flow. It's unstoppable, sometimes moving fast, others slow. But the gospel is advancing. I like to, to tell people that the gospel gearbox doesn't have a neutral or reverse gear. It's never, ever hold the fort or retreat. But if the gospel ever gets blocked, it simply just goes underground and advances. If you look at the churches in Asia and in China, 
That's what it did. Governments try to block the gospel. It just went underground and advances, which echoes the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, where he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing and forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. The gospel is advancing to the ends of the earth. Now I want to briefly just touch on four aspects in which and the gospel advances. <clears throat> the first one is the gospel advances through chains. In verse 13, Paul says, I'm in chains for Christ. And in verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I just love that aspect. You see, you can imprison a person, but not their faith or their heart that has been set free by the gospel. One of the primary marks of a person full of the Holy Spirit is courage and they're fearless. In the book of Acts, they use the word boldness a lot. Now, the interesting thing is, is we had have thought that the Apostle Paul, he could have advanced the gospel far more effectively if he was on his missionary trips. I think possibly Paul had HDD where he was just on the move. But however, when he was arrested in prison, he was almost apprehended by God and the Holy Spirit was able to flow through him where in prison he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which we have today, which we embrace and we believe and we can advance the gospel. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. <clears throat> the Amplified, it says, nor can it be imprisoned. I remember reading Watchman Nee, an amazing Chinaman who, who, who God used mightily for the advancing of the gospel in China. And his autobiography called Against the Tide. And the times you preach the gospel outside, you'd be arrested, thrown in prison. He'd preach the gospel in prison that all of his inmates would come to faith and start Bible studies. And some of the officials would come to faith that eventually they began to beat him and they gouged out his eyes and eventually they cut out his tongue and he died for his faith in prison. But in prison and out of prison, in both those places, he was able to advance the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul speaks of himself as an ambassador in chains. Chains don't hinder the gospel in any way whatsoever. The apostle Paul was in chains in Caesar's prison for his faith. And in prison, he shared his faith and many came to faith. And even some who belonged to Caesar's household, his family or relatives, you might say, well, Willie, where did you find that? If you skip to Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, and you read some of Paul's final greetings, he says, send greetings, especially to those who belong to Caesar's household. Guess what? God, Paul, and the gospel had the last laugh with reference to Caesar trying to... Uh, halt the advancement of the gospel. 
Now, your chains, your personal chains, could be financial pressures. It could be sickness, marriage difficulties, work. It could be attitudes of pride, anger, rejection. It could be an addiction. It could be numerous different chains that are holding you down. My encouragement to you today is begin to personally study what does the Bible say about your current chains. And God, who do you want to be to me in this current situation? And when you believe it and you apply it, you'll find the freedom. Many people want an instant freedom, a quick prayer that's going to set them free. I want to say I believe most of our freedom is a progressive freedom. Even the nation of Israel, the promised land that they were promised by God, the Bible says it was little by little they'd possess the land and drive out the enemies. You and I have keys in the scripture that as we find them, we begin to unlock our own chains and out of our chains, There's a gospel story being written called your testimony. So your current chains of bondage and restriction, as you find God's keys that will bring freedom, there's a gospel story being written called your testimony. For example, Jacques and Louise, wonderful couple in our community that were bound through drug addiction today, they are helping and ministering to so many. Kathy, who was an abusive relationship, has come out of that chains and is helping others. My wife Shirley, that had a seven-year depression, has discovered keys and has come out of that and now is helping others advance the gospel in that. Secondly, the gospel advances through ordinary, flawed people. In verses 15 to 18, um, Paul says there's some that preach the gospel out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, not sincerely. However, the gospel still advances through imperfect vessels with muddled motives. So often we believe the lie that our lives have to be all sorted out before we can share the gospel. That's a lie that I believe the truth can set you free. Our lives don't have to be perfect. They'll never be perfect. But be more than 50% of the way. Allow Jesus to do a deep work. Often there's another line that we believe that we can only share the gospel that when it's convenient and it's it's the most suitable time. I want to say to you this morning, there'll never be the perfect time. And most times, even in my own life, It's inconvenient. However, when you do share, God's life comes to the fore. Now, as in verse 18, Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is that Christ be preached. The gospel accelerates when we desire to make him great and don't care who gets the credit, the praise, or the acknowledgement. In Acts chapter 20, From verse 19 to 24, the Apostle Paul said something really beautiful. He said, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and was severely tested. And to me, I do believe the gospel accelerates when there's an increased humility in our lives 
and we would begin to weep for, for those that are far from him. And our own personal testings and tryings refine us to be able to testify to the task of sharing the gospel of God's grace. <clears throat> the gospel advances, thirdly, through faith-filled prayers. Can I encourage you, never ever stop praying for those that are far from God. There's certain nations and cities that I do believe God wants us to hold dear in our hearts, the way Jesus held Jerusalem in his heart and he wept over that city. I do believe God will begin to lay nations and cities in our heart. At this particular moment in Syria, the city of Aleppo that's under siege by the, the Russians and the Syrian army is, is something that's a great concern. And every concern, I'm turning it into prayers. I, I believe our faith-filled, spirit-directed prayers are like spiritual nuclear weapons that are opening up heavens and, and regions and cities and nations with the gospel to bring life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 5, it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So I want to encourage you, please, let your prayer come from the world news that you watch, or whether it's News 24, but our prayers as God's people prevail mightily. Fourthly, the gospel advances in and through our life and our death. In Philippians 1 verse 21 to 23, where Paul speaks himself speaks of himself being torn, he didn't know whether it was better for him to go be with Jesus because he had glimpses of heaven and the realities there or to stay with the brothers. Can I say for Paul, the invisible realities of heaven and eternity were more real than the physical, temporal, visible, natural world that the Bible says is passing away. Death is certain for each and every one of us. We just don't know when and we don't know how. I want to say every day how we live for Jesus, we are writing our own eulogy. The eulogy is what others are going to say. And I want to live in such a way that people don't have to lie at my funeral with flowery, flattery words that are not the truth. My mom-in-law recently died last month and at a cremation. It is interesting, nobody mentioned about a house or a car or anything of that nature and sorts. It was more the person of who she was in Christ and the impact that she had on others. Question, how will you be remembered on earth and welcomed into eternity? Will people remember you on earth for being a person of faith and love and hope and encouragement? And will you receive the well done, my good and faithful servant? In verse 27, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. How do we live out that worthy of the gospel? One of my most favorite portions of scriptures with reference to the gospel is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, where it says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died and rose again. Living for Jesus in life is through us obeying him. Matthew 28 verse 20, Jesus' parting words is to command everybody to obey everything I have taught you. As I was reflecting on how do I die daily as the Apostle Paul encouraged us, just the word obedience to Christ is dying to self. If you just look at that word obedience, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E, guess what's in the middle of that word is the word letter, word die, D-I-E. Obedience to Christ and his word will cause a death to your flesh. In a conflict situation, it's what would Jesus do in this situation? When you're feeling hurt and offended, what would Jesus do? And we've always got to reflect Jesus. We don't just want to be nice, law-abiding, good people. No, we want to be Christ-like people. Fifthly and lastly, the gospel advances through suffering. Now, this is a vast topic in the Bible and it's not a favorite topic among the big faith preachers. But here in verse 29, and if you look and study the New Testament, suffering was part and part of the gospel advancing. The book of Acts, there was much suffering, much tears. But look how powerfully the gospel advanced. Paul says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I personally believe there's a glory to be revealed and a spirit of glory that's going to rest on us when we suffer joyfully as unto Christ. We may participate in them. And to me, the glory of God is a subject that we, that word we use very glibly but have not too much depth of understanding. But in one minute, for me, the glory of God is aspects of his nature, his character's attributes revealed to us and through us that bring him honor. When you and I live a Christ-loving life, when we forgive, when we are kind, when we are merciful, we are demonstrating the glory of God and we're letting others see what God looks like. So like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When we reflect Jesus, we reflect the glory of God to others. Now, the suffering that I'm talking about is not a redemptive suffering. It's not suffering to be saved or suffering, paying for our sin or to be forgiven. Jesus did all of that. Sickness is not God punishing you. There is sometimes, however, a suffering for the consequences of sin or stupidity's sake. A lot of people say, well, God told me to do this. They did it, but he actually didn't. However, God is still able to work all things out, even our mistakes, 
that he be glorified and there be a growth curve in us. In Matthew 5 where it says, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, not for stupidity's sake, righteousness sake. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, Stephen, there's the suffering that he experienced and the stoning, but guess what? He saw Jesus standing and in that standing, he began to shine like that of an angel. There is a suffering for standing up for what you believe. I believe that's the suffering Paul is speaking about here. When you make a stand for Jesus, it will bring relational rejection. Your family won't understand. Your work peers, you could be sidelined, ridiculed. Can I say, rejoice for great will be your reward. I don't believe standing up for Jesus is in any way criticizing or knocking anybody. I don't believe we should be gay bashing. I don't believe we should be criticizing any other religion. I was yesterday visiting a friend in hospital and some other friend of his, a lady, came to visit him as well. And we were busy chatting and talking. And and as I spoke to her, found out she's divorced and she had lost her son tragically. And she was Even though it happened many, many years ago, she was busy processing still the pain and the hurt. And she was telling me how she had found some comfort in talking to her angels. Now, I'm aware those are not God's angels. And instead of saying to her, you know, it's so wrong to speak to angels, I said to her, you know what? There's a person who knows how you're feeling on the inside, who knows the pain that you've experienced having lost your son and losing your husband in a divorce. And Jesus wants to talk to you. He wants to take you by the hand and help you process the loss and the pain. And I provided a better way of raising her faith and gaze to Jesus. And if I had criticized what she was doing, she would have risen up and defended what she's doing. But she said, no, she's sure the angels have provided this. And I'd say, you know, Possibly, but Jesus, but Jesus is greater than all things. Can I say, we need to point people to Jesus. And when we do that, I believe that people will just respond to that. Don't knock any religion. You know, you get people possibly would say, you know, all faiths are exactly the same. They're just different paths that lead to the same God. Instead of saying how ridiculous or ludicrous is that idea, I'd say to them, you know, if you get a Catholic and a Protestant, would you think that they would agree with that statement that all paths lead to heaven? Or if you get a Muslim and a Jew or a Hindu with their millions of gods and say, you know what, they all lead to the same place, I guarantee you they would disagree with you. I say to people that say that statement, if all roads lead to the same God and they're all so similar, why Why are they in such conflict with one another? The truth of the matter is, they are all trying to earn or work their way to an impersonal God where Christianity is so different because it's not us trying to work our way to an impersonal God. It's a personal God who came down to us, revealed himself in the person of Jesus and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
And we need to point people to the Father, to Jesus, and help them begin to see how deeply and dearly God loves them and wants to have a personal relationship with them. However, our sin, all that internal stuff that we were willfully living for ourselves, that separates us from enjoying a growing relationship with Him. And we're almost trapped in our selfish habits, addictions, etc. But it's only Christ and His power through His death and resurrection that can set us free that we could serve Him. And it's very simple. And I like to help people understand the gospel in this particular form. I call it the ABCs. The first thing we need to do to receive this gift of a relationship is we've got to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have missed the mark, that we've lived for ourselves being at the center. We've got to acknowledge that. Secondly, the B is we've got to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sin so that by personal faith in Him, we could be made alive on the inside, forgiven of our sin, that we can follow Him. The C is we've got to confess Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, our new master and owner. The D is that we daily live for Him. It's not a one hour a week affair that we're having with Jesus. No, it's 24-7, daily living for Him, deepening our new found relationship with Him. The E is eternal life is yours to enjoy and share with others. The F is forgiveness is yours, made clean and whole on the inside, and a new future awaits you in Christ Jesus. And the G of the gospel is go tell others the good news. I want to encourage you as I conclude this morning, as we've looked at Philippians chapter 1 from verse 12 to 30, that the gospel advances no matter what. It advances through our chains, the areas of gospel stories in the making. Secondly, the gospel advances through our flaws and faults and failings. The gospel advances, thirdly, through our prayers. The gospel advances through life and our death, through our obedience to Him, and lastly, through suffering, our standing up in love for the truth.